0: If you're new, my name's Tim, I'm one of the pastors here at GT, and um, we have been in a series now for four weeks, we'll be finishing this up next week, uh, week five, and next week we're going to to be dealing with a little bit of a controversial passage of scripture, Uh, but what I love about expository preaching is you don't get to skip over the hard parts. Right, You don't get to avoid it. You just got to go with it and deal with it. And we got to talk about it openly and honestly. Uh, but we've been in this series called uh, The True Desire of Your Heart. And once again, looking at the idea of just the supremacy of Jesus. As I said before, how amazing and awesome he really is. And over the last several weeks, we've been talking about this idea of orthodoxy and orthopraxy. How simply right doctrine must always lead to right Practice. If we believe rightly about who Jesus is, then it causes us to live and function in a certain way. Now, if you were here last week, I talked about this this idea of uh, of worship, and I, I made this statement. I think is a, a very profound statement, and it kind of correlates to even the message here today. And I said this: You become that which you behold. You behold that which you worship, and you worship that which you love. We talked about this last week, that we are love beings far more than intellectual beings. Far more than rational beings. We are love beings. You love that which you are consumed by and you become consumed by that which you dwell upon. You become consumed by that which you give your time and your effort and your energy and your Resources And so in this series, we're looking at this idea of what does it mean to be consumed by Jesus, to find ultimate delight and satisfaction in him and him alone. I want you to stand here this morning for the reading of God's word. And Paul says this in Colossians chapter 3, verses 5 through 9. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry, Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, past tense. But now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices. You may be seated. Now, the Apostle Paul here, as he's writing to this church in Colossae, and he gets to this section of Scripture, and he begins to use some very aggressive, even violent type of language to convey a certain point. And he says here in the opening lines, he says, put to death. And what Paul is saying is that he's boldly saying that when it comes to the old nature and its ways, when it comes to sin, we don't try and tame it. We don't try and control it, we don't try to manage it, but rather we kill it. Very strong language that Paul is using here. He says when it comes to sin, we don't compromise with it, we don't try to get better with controlling it and managing it, but Paul says, no, that is what you once were, and so if you're going to walk out in the victory of who Jesus has called you to live, then you must learn to kill it. I remember an old revivalist my dad used to have come preach at our church from Florence, Kentucky back in the day. And he was uh mentored by Lester Summerall and uh, just a, a great man of God. He used to always make this statement. He He talked like he smoked like five packs of Marlboro Reds a day. He didn't, but he talked like that. And he used to always say, I'm telling you, you better be killing sin or sin will be killing you. And I remember as a young man hearing that statement and thinking, that's such a funny statement. I would laugh all the time just because of his voice. But, but it was a very profound statement that he was making. That when it comes to sin, when it comes to our old nature, once again, we don't compromise with it. We don't manage it, but we must learn to kill it. And so the language is violent here, just as in the words of Jesus also in the gospels. You remember Jesus said, if your eye causes you to sin, if your hand causes you to sin, if your tongue causes you to sin, then you must cut it off. And the idea in killing sin is simply this, learn to starve it, learn to cut off all access to it. In fact, it's connected to an ancient war tactic, whenever uh, different groups wanted to overthrow a city, they would surround the city, and they would cut off all access to resources going in and out of the city. They would starve the city, weaken the city, so that they can overthrow the city. And this is the idea that Paul is getting at, that when it comes to sin, we we must learn to starve it. We must learn to cut off all access that we have to it so that we may, in fact, destroy it in our lives. Now, Paul, in many of his epistles, he gives different sin lists. We see them in Romans 1, and 1 Corinthians 6, in Galatians 5, Ephesians 4, and also in 2 Timothy 3. But in this list, Paul lists several specific things. And we must understand that the the first century context that Paul is writing to in the Greco-Roman world was a very perverse culture. Now many times we think that we live today in a very perverse culture. But if you study uh, things from antiquities and and the Greco-Roman world, it was extremely perverse. In fact, there's really nothing new under the sun this is why paul has to address things over and over again in his epistles and in this sinless he goes through several different things he says put off or kill fornication this speaks of primarily sexual relationship with harlots or outside the covenant this could be connected today even to the idea of pornography Impurity, works of the flesh, misuse of sex, or manipulation. Put off passion, speaking of dishonorable desires, and put off covetousness, equated to idolatry, or setting our affections on earthly things. And so Paul then reiterates the indicative before the imperative challenge and pointing to their old identity. And what he does here is he says that you used to do these things when you belong to the old age, the spirit of this age. But now that you are a new creation, you must learn to be who you already are created to be in Christ. And then he goes on, he speaks of the idea of anger, of rage and malice and how that leads to slander, to inappropriate talk and lying. And he gets at this idea of what happens on the inward person always has a way of manifesting itself and to the outward person. In verse six, he talks about the idea of the wrath of God that is coming. And we must understand, I've said this a lot, that when we, under, when we look at the wrath of God, we must see it that it is in fact judgment. But on this side of eternity, the wrath of God is connected to his desire to restore us rather than get us back even for what we've done. All right, let's read on again. Verse 10 and 11, he says this, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator, here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Now here in verses 10 through 11, after challenging them to put off the old self, Paul then exhorts them or he encourages them to put on the new selves as if they are garments to be worn. And the language he uses in the image of the creator would have immediately been connected with Genesis 1 through 27, where man is created in the image of God before the fall. And what Paul is doing here, he says, be who you were created to be, once again pointing to their identity to speak about how they're supposed to live in holiness. And I love the imagery that Paul uses here. He says... You used to do these things. That was a part of your nature. You were essentially dead in your sin. But when you put your faith, hope, and trust in Jesus as Lord, those things that you used to do, they're like old, filthy garments. And Paul says, take those garments and throw them aside. And when you throw them aside, understand you're throwing them aside never to pick those things up again. Again. It's like if I'm wearing this jacket here. This represents my old nature. He says, take that thing and throw it off. And when you throw it off, understand that you've thrown it off once and for all. And don't go back to this thing and try to put it on because it's not who you were created to be. But then what I love is he says, there's a new garment that you have been given. A new understanding, a new way of living. Put on that thing and leave that old thing aside. Let's read on verse 12. He says, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Now when he uses this word chosen, once again, it speaks of this idea of identity. And this group of believers in Colossae now belong to the family of God. They are those who have been elected. They are those who have been called out. They are those who have been set apart to reflect a new type of people in the earth. And when Paul uses the word chosen, it would have been connected to the Old Testament usage in speaking of Israel as a nation that Israel was also elected. Israel was chosen. But now because of Christ, all who have faith in him, they are now the new beloved people of God, no matter what their nationality, no matter what their ethnic background. He said, you are a chosen people. And if you're chosen, if you're called out, if you're elected, start living like it. And he says, clothe yourselves with compassion. And this isn't just sympathy or empathy alone, but it's when these two are accompanied with a desire to help alleviate the problem. He says, clothe yourself with kindness. Kindness is one of the nine fruits from Galatians chapter 5. It's connected to how we deal with those whom we have compassion for. He says, clothe yourself with humility. And humility is a true posture of selflessness, not to be mistaken with low self-esteem, but rather, it's corrected to or connected to not being so self-consumed. It's being connected to the reality of the world outside of you. In fact, I've heard it said like this that humility is really connected to good self-awareness. And self-awareness is simply this: Are you aware with how others? Are experiencing you? Are you aware of how others are interpreting you? Are you aware of how you're coming across to others? And Paul says, clothe yourselves with this humility. And then he says, clothe yourself with gentleness. And in this gentleness, it deals with our interactions towards people. It could be in the realm of physicality, but also an attitude, voice, and temperament. And then he says, clothe yourselves with with patience. And where gentleness is a posture of our hearts towards other people, patience deals with how we react to other people. And so these are the things that Paul gives them. He says, put aside sexual immorality, put aside fornication, put aside those things of the old nature, and learn to be a people who are putting on compassion. Learn to be a people who are wearing kindness who are clothing themselves with humility, gentleness, and patience. And let these be the things that define your very being, define your life. Verse 13, Paul says, bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. So when Paul says, forgive one another, he doesn't add here, forgive, as long as that person deserves it. Hello? Are we awake this morning? He says, no, forgive one another. If any has a grievance against someone, forgive. And then he connects it as the Lord forgave you. How many of us think that we we deserve the forgiveness of Jesus? None of us. And yet Paul, he picks up on that idea. He says, as, as the people of God, clothing yourselves in these things, learn to be a people of forgiveness. Jesus said, freely you have received, therefore freely you shall give. If you've been forgiven much, you should also be a person who understands what it means to forgive much. In Matthew chapter 18, Peter came to Jesus and asked him, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? And Jesus responds and he says, I tell you, not seven times, but actually 77 times, right? And many times people try to add up those numbers and multiply those numbers and say, okay, if I just forgive 490 times or whatever it is, then, then I'm done with forgiving. No, what Jesus is doing there, he's using the number seven to speak of completion, and to speak of wholeness. And the idea is simply this. Jesus is saying, be complete in your forgiveness. So when Paul says to clothe yourselves with these things and be a people that forgive because Jesus has forgiven you, he's saying, be a people that are so defined by forgiveness that you don't hold grudges against anyone. Now, when it comes to forgiveness, this doesn't necessarily mean that you have to trust that person or allow yourself to be hurt again. And it doesn't mean that the person, in fact, actually deserves it. However, forgiveness does mean, and I want you to hear me on this, forgiveness does mean letting someone off the hook. I think many times we we wrestle with forgiving people because they don't deserve it, and if I forgive them, then I'm letting them off the hook. Well, the truth is, yes, you are letting them off the hook. And here's why. Because if you never let them off the hook, you're always bound to them. And forgiveness is about you letting go so that you don't walk in the bondage of being bound to this offense to this situation. And this is so important that Paul, he picks up on this and he says, listen, forgiveness is huge in the body of Christ. Learn to let people off the hook because it means you're releasing yourself from the offense. You see, forgiveness is often a response to offense, but walking in forgiveness is choosing not to be offended. Robert Madu says this, experiencing offense is inevitable. Being offended is optional. Every one of us in this journey of life will have offense towards us. We will experience offense. People will wrongly say things, do things, right? Assume things about you. It's inevitable. It will happen in your life. But being offended, taking that upon yourself, is actually optional. Many years ago, my wife and I, we made a decision. We're going to refuse to be offended. We're, just, we're going to just plant our feet in the ground on this. We refuse to be. It doesn't mean that we never have offense towards us. It doesn't mean that we're never misunderstood or... or um, wrong things said towards us or about us. doesn't mean that people don't do manipulative things to us, but we've just made a decision. We refuse to be offended. And when we begin to posture our heart in that way, it amazes me how many times things happen and other people notice it around us and we're like, what are you talking about? It's not because we're oblivious. We just choose to assume the best about everyone. And even if there is no good in that person, it's their brokenness and we're not going to be hooked to it. We're going to refuse to be offended. I think this is so important for the body of Christ in the 21st century because one of the defining characteristics about the church of Jesus Christ, especially the evangelical church in North America in the last several years, is we are very offended. We're offended over everything. We're offended over everything that happens in the world. Everything that happens in our nation, in our country, in the decisions that are made. We're all offended. And many times we're offended with one another. And what Paul says is, actually, that's not who you're called to be. Throw that thing aside and never pick it up again. Learn to forgive one another. Learn to walk in in forgiveness because if you don't understand, if you don't catch this, if you don't lay a hold of this, then you will be bound to the spirit of offense. And it will destroy you. It will deteriorate at your very being. It will destroy relationships that you have. It will destroy work that you do. It will destroy every single thing in your life if you don't learn to walk in forgiveness. Verse 14, Paul says, and over all these virtues, and I love this, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. You see, more than any other religion in the world, Christianity elevates love to the highest virtue because the very object of our worship is in fact love. 1 John 4, God is love. Love, And when I say that, what what we're not saying there is God is like love. God is what I define love to be. No, what, what John is saying there, his very essence, his very being is in fact perfect love. And Paul essentially says that if we are exemplifying the attributes of those who live in the age to come, those who live in the new creation, we ought to be a people walking in the way of love, and therefore fulfilling the command given to us by Jesus in John 13, that we would learn to love as Christ has loved us. Now, last week I talked about the new covenant. And what does it mean to understand who we are as a people in the new covenant? Understand this, that every covenant that was given, there, there was a command or many commands given to fulfill it. Jesus, in John chapter 13, says I'm giving you a new covenant and here's your command learn to love people the way I have loved you he doesn't give them ten commandments you know when Jesus is asked what's the greatest commandment love the Lord your God with all your heart soul and mind love your neighbor as yourself he's summarizing the Old Testament the old commands in the new covenant he gives us one command now I love this Because he simplifies it in understanding, and yet I would propose it is the most difficult thing you and I will ever learn to do. To learn to love people the way Jesus loved us. Because our natural inclination is to be offended. Our natural inclination often is to assume the worst about everyone. But the way of Jesus, And the new covenant is we've thrown off that garment. We're never picking it up again. We're refusing to be offended. And we're going to learn to walk in the agape, unconditional love that Jesus has lavished upon us. It's the most simple thing he gives us. But once again, the most difficult thing you and I will ever learn to do. Verse 15 And then he says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts since as members of one body you were called to peace and be thankful. Now Paul reveals here that it is only when peace is ruling in us inwardly that we can then experience peace outwardly or communally. And peace should be the very thing that governs us in the new creation. In fact, when he says to rule, it speaks of a judge, an empire. Let peace be the judge of your life. If you don't have peace about it, search your heart. Let peace be the thing that judges your very being. If I'm not walking in peace, then I'm not walking in the way of Jesus. Paul said in Romans 12, verses 17 through 21, he says this, Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with only those you agree with. (laughs) Live at peace only with those who vote the way you vote. Live at peace only with the ones that watch the same news station that you watch. No, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. And doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Verse 21, do do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Now, I remember as a young man, I used to read this verse, and I used to think that the idea was connected to killing them with kindness, right? So let's say Quentin does something very offensive towards me. He he doesn't, but let's just say he does, all right? And, And I want to get him back. I'm going to respond in kindness, and it's like taking heaping burning coals and saying, ha, take that, Quentin. Take a little bit of my kindness. How does that feel? Burn!" But that's a very warped understanding of the text. The proper understanding of this is coals were always used for purification and healing. So what Paul is saying here in Romans is when you walk in the way of love, when you refuse to be offended and you're a person of peace, when people do things wrong against you and you respond with the way of Jesus, you're actually helping to bring healing to their lives. And this is so important. We're supposed to be a people that bring the healing of the new creation to the earth. Many times, because we get swept up in the way of the world, we walk just as frustrated, just as mad, just as angry, just as offended as those in the world. And then often we wonder why we're not making the difference we should be making. What if every time someone wrongly accused us or wrongly said this about us or wronged us, we responded in kindness, gentleness, humility, patience, love. What if that was an opportunity for the healing of God to come to their life? You see, in the context that Paul is writing, both Romans and Colossians 2, they're in a time known as the Pax Romana. Anybody ever heard that term before? The Pax Romana was peace resulting by overthrowing and destroying enemies. It was a time of peace in Rome's history because they had conquered all their enemies. And because we are stronger, and because we have more military power, this is why peace existed. Many countries still try to function under this mindset today. But what happens in the way of Jesus, in the new creation, in the kingdom of God that he is building, is, is not the Pax Romana, but what's called the Pax Christiana. And it's peace resulting by loving and forgiving our enemies. It's peace resulting not from dominating our enemies, or trying to oppress our enemies, but no, it's peace that comes through loving and forgiving our enemies. Man, what would that look like in the church in North America if we can just embrace that again? The first 300 years of church history, the Christian church was severely persecuted, severely wrong. No rights, no liberties, no benefits. Horrific things happen to them. And yet they understood we don't respond in the way of the world. We respond in the way of Jesus. And their radical love completely flipped the Roman Empire. For 300 years, the church grew and exploded because of this mindset. They didn't have any rights. They didn't have any liberties, but they had Jesus and they walked in his ways. Verse 16, let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing to God with gratitude in your hearts. This word psalm, it speaks of scriptures used for worship and prayer. Hymns were probably early creeds of the church and spiritual songs could be uh, songs inspired by the Holy Spirit or it could be new songs or singing in the Spirit. And then verse 17, and I close with this. Whatever you do, Paul wraps up this section to the church here. He said that whenever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Giving thanks to God the Father through And everything that you do, do it as unto the Lord. In your relationships, in your workplace, in your community of faith, in your job, in your career, in your interaction with your neighbors, do everything as unto the Lord. Walk in the way of Christ in everything. Eugene Peterson, in his rendition of scripture called The Message in Romans 12, verses one through two, he says this, and I want you to stand for this here this morning. Peterson says, so here's what I want you to do. He's summarizing Romans 12. God helping you take your everyday ordinary life, you're sleeping, you're eating, you're going to work, Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you, develops well-informed maturity in you. So what Paul says is essentially this. As the church of Jesus Christ... And he's speaking to the church of Colossae that we've been reading from, the church in Rome here. You're meant to look different than the world in which you live. You're meant to think differently than the world in which you live. The world wrestles with sexual idolatry, but not you. The world wrestles with fornication, but not you. The world wrestles with anger and malice and slander and rage, but not the people of God. The world wrestles with all these things of offense and feeling wronged. And I'm gonna get people, I'm gonna get even with them. I'm gonna make things right because I deserve it, but not the people of God. The people of God are meant to clothe themselves with humility, kindness, patience, compassion, and ultimately love. The people of God are supposed to be the greatest peacekeepers and peacemakers in the earth. And when we're not doing those things, what we're doing is we're picking up the old nature and putting back on what we're supposed to be throwing. Why do we continually pick up those things and put them on when we, realize, when, we, when we should realize that we've been liberated and set free from the, I'm not saying this out of legalism, I'm not saying this to beat anyone down, but I believe it's time for the church to rise up and understand the identity they've been given. You're not called to live and look and function like the world. This is why even years ago, I struggled with the idea of relevant church. That was a big thing. Oh, we need to be more relevant. No, we don't. We don't need to be more relevant. We need to be more holy. We need to be more set apart. We need to be more called. It it, it doesn't mean we, we, we don't do neat things and use technology for our benefit and all these things. It doesn't mean that we, we don't progress, and, but, but we're, not, we're not consumed by those things to try to cater to people. What happened in the first 300 years was there was such a unique counterculture of people in Rome that people observed and said, man, they get treated really badly and they never respond in anger and malice. The government even began to notice and say they actually look after the poor and the widows better better than we do. And people are flocking to them. The more we persecute them, the more they grow. The more we oppress them, the more kind they are. And I think this is what it means to be the people of God. Amen? And so this is what I want you to do. We're going to have a little bit of ministry time here. First off, maybe there's something... Something in your life that you've been wrestling with that signifies your old nature, those old garments. And for whatever reason, I, I'm not trying to guilt you once again, I, it, we, we, we all have to wrestle with, through things at times, but for whatever reason, you, you keep picking it back up. So what I want you to do right now, if you're in this place and that's you, there's something that you keep picking up that God is saying, lay it down, lay it down, never pick it up. I simply want you to take your hands like this, I want you to offer it to God. Simply offer it to God. Say, God, I'm tired of picking this thing up. I believe you set me free. You've liberated me from this. I want you to offer it to God and say, help me to never pick this up again. I give it to you. You may be saved, but as Jesus Lord of your life in every area. So right now, all across this place, you're presenting it to God. I'm giving it to you so that I would never pick it up again. Help me to walk in the freedom and liberty that you have called me to. Holy Spirit, come. Convict hearts of sin. That we would realize that we've been putting on the old nature when you said, put aside the old nature. Put aside, never pick it up again. You're a new creation in Christ. And help us to lay it down, give it to you, surrender it over, never to pick it up again. Secondly, what I want you to do is maybe you're here this morning. And I think this speaks to all of us, probably. You know, in your life, there's an area of offense that you've been carrying. Maybe it's with a family member. Maybe it's with someone in the church. You saw them post something and you thought, how dare you? And you've allowed a spirit of offense to come in your heart. Once again, you you, you may think differently about things. You may even think that they're wrong. But as the people of God, we're not called to walk in a spirit of offense. The world is offended at everything. But may it not be so with the body of Christ. And maybe you're here this morning and the Holy Spirit is convicting you and you know right now there's people that you need to reach out to this week. And you need to simply say, I'm sorry. I need to ask your forgiveness because I've been offended. Families are divided right now. Homes are divided right now. Churches are divided right now over offense. Maybe you need to reach out to someone this afternoon and say, I I just, you don't need to try to explain yourself or give your opinion on the matter. You just need to simply say, I am sorry and I need to ask for your forgiveness because I've been offended about this that you said or this decision that you made or you didn't make. Would you forgive me? So this afternoon, I want to encourage you to just respond in obedience to that that truth. And once again, to understand as the people of God, we're called to be different. We're called to be unique. We're called to walk in a different way of living in the world. So Father, raise up a holy church again. Raise up a people that understand what it means to walk as the called out ones as the ones chosen by You. And Lord, I declare Your goodness and Your blessing and Your favor over Your people here this morning. That as they leave, let them leave as a people walking in the way of Jesus, walking in the way of the Spirit, refusing to be offended, walking in the way of forgiveness, walking in humility and, and compassion and kindness and gentleness and being a counterculture in the midst of a very offended and godless culture. Continue to do your work in our lives and help us to never pick up those things again. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.